All right, so after giving us the double feature of shit and more shit last week, we uh, have some pretty good episodes. Deep Space Nine is making it up to us. Good. Again, if they you know, would just cut out the bad episodes, you know, we would be better. We could just skip them. We Really? I know that they're coming. Really? We could do this? No, we're not going to do that. <sighs> Listen, we're going to watch all of Star Trek Voyager, so we're not going to skip episodes of Deep Space Nine. Tuvok Part 3, the story of Tuvok. Well, that's actually a good segue into Through the Looking Glass because, of course, I knew this was coming. I think you thought you were going to have to wait for Star Trek Voyager to meet your favorite character, Tuvok. And he's in this episode. Really? You didn't even notice. I don't even know who the fuck Tuvok is, Eric. I know he's a character. It says it in the credits. Guest starring Tim Russ as Tuvok. I don't read credits. Well, you should start. So who the hell was Tuvok? Tuvok is the Black Vulcan. Okay. So there's two. This is so disappointing. Well, listen, maybe if you had told me. For like three years, Richard has been like, oh my God, Tuvok, I can't wait to see Tuvok. And finally you see Tuvok and you don't even realize it's Tuvok. Well, how am I supposed to know that it's Tuvok? Because it said it in the credits. Again, but you're supposed to let me know. You know I don't know what names are, Eric. You know what Tuvok is. No, I, I... I told you two seconds ago, I don't know who Tuvok is. I just know No, you know the name Tuvok, which said it on the screen in the yeah, credits. Yeah, but that implied that I was looking at the screen during the credits. So anyway, you met Tuvok, and he had, gave no impression to you whatsoever, so I suppose we're done with that. Okay. Well, now what I'm going to add? Never mention Tuvok again. <laughs> All I, right. I don't so want to hear it. Wh- what am I going to have to look forward to now? Um, I don't know. I suddenly find myself in a very cold and heartless universe. How about Porthos the dog? Aw. There's a dog coming up. Okay. In the future. You could be excited for that. I guess. But I mean, is it Tuvok's dog? Could not be Tuvok's dog. I'm excited about this. So through the looking glass. Yeah, this was out. I liked this episode a lot. There were a couple of, oh shit, moments, particularly when... You know, the ob- the question of, you know, an alternate universe where Cisco's wife is not dead is one of those obvious things that I didn't see coming. Sure. And so this was fantastic to actually have that. I'm wondering if there is a dark Jake running around. Um, well, don't tell me either way. I'm just thinking. I'm not going to say. Okay. So let's leave that alone. But anyway, um, yeah, it was nice seeing Cisco have interactions with his wife who is not his wife. It's interesting this coming at this point in Cisco's life because he, you know, as we've talked about, Cisco is finally done with his mourning period. He has finally, you know, moved on to. The next step, you know, we, we saw him, you know, dipping his toes into the water of dating at one point, sure. you know, um, he's pretty happy where he is. And so, I mean, this is an oppor- this could have been an opportunity for him to angst and worry, but I mean, he does focus on the mission and there is a degree where I think this is Cisco kind of taking this as a gift, like the closest thing he will be to have his wife and appreciating that. Rather than angsting about it, and I like that because you know that there are plenty of shows that would have had this as the cause for many existential musings from Cisco's part, and 
you know, Cisco is the kind of person who can do an existential musing when he needs to. And he is very significant. He doesn't hear. Well, I think in a certain way, I think you're right and you're wrong. I mean, I, I, I do definitely think that Cisco is over it at this point, or as much as anybody can, can get yes. over their, their spouse dying, uh, you know, you know, in a horrible situation and, and very young. But uh, uh, not to say that, that old people, you know, don't also mourn their spouses when they die, no, because no, no, of no. course they do. Um, I, don't, I don't mean to other old people or, or sort of, you know, shunt them off into a weird place where a lot of people send old people at this point. Uh, just got into a dark place. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. I, I have things going on in my life right now. Um, but, you know, aside from that, I think that, that you know, it, it's not incidental that Cisco is very, very, very strong about the fact that he wants to leave. He's not going to help until he finds out who it is. Oh, yeah. And I think that indicates that, yes, he's he's over it to as much as a degree as anybody can be, but there is still going to be that longing and there is still going to be that desire to see the person again. Well, I would say it's more that, you know, it's so much when he sees her, but more, more so that he knows that if he doesn't do this, she's just going to be killed. And this is, you know, Cisco is never going to be able to go and actually save Jennifer from the Borg like that. He can't do, he knows, but this is the closest he can do. You know, he can make an effort to save this person who, you know, shares a lot with his wife and, you know, do the right thing in a way. Well, number one, just wait for the sixth season episode, The Battle of Heart 359. Uh, the other thing I think is that, you know, I don't know. Cisco's motivations in this episode are both clear and not clear at the yeah. same time. And I think that that's okay. I think that... that they're you know, consistent in his character. Nothing seems out of character. Right. They're consistent in his character. And also, I think, you know, I like the fact that the show is, is dealing with the ambiguity of that sort of thing. Because, of course, I think it would be ambiguous. You know, I I, I think that, that you know, in general, people do things sometimes for, for ill-defined reasons that they don't yeah. really understand. And so... You know, I, I like the fact that Cisco decides immediately to help because it is Jennifer and for whatever reason he wants to do that. You know, I, I think that, you know, there's there's criticisms of, of Mirror Universe episodes that you could make that are frankly not very interesting because, of course, you know, yeah, you could say, well, it's a coincidence. And yeah, yeah, people, you know, But that's not the point of it. You know, like the there point- is a degree to which I know every story has the hand of God putting people in the right spots. Like- well, right, because, <laughs> I mean, of course, you know, the, the real joy of the Mirror Universe episodes is just to see the different characters and, you know, to see characters yeah. in a different light. So, you know, in this yeah, episode, it's a shorthand way of saying what if. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's well, I mean, in in very real terms, it's like the Marvel what if comics, you know, where it's like, what if Superman was or what if Spider-Man was actually a Superman or something, (laughs) you know, Um, but, you know, one of the things I like about Through the Looking Glass is that, you know, and I'm trying to stay away from talking about later Mirror Universe stuff because, you know, it's whatever. I'm not going to I'm not going to influence you one way or the other. You know, you'll just have to see how those pan out when we get to them. But. I think that, you know, it's... No, go ahead. I kind of really like Mirror Universe episodes. Half for the fact that, again, you know, we've talked about, you know, acting... Well, well, I'll remind you of that in season seven, but okay. It gets tedious. Good. Um, Maybe not. (laughs) Oh, yeah, maybe the Dominion have something to do with the larger plot. I don't know. Not really. They don't really deal with it. Who's Odo? Um... (laughs) I mean, just the special effect of seeing, you know, Kira be the intended, you know, was always 
very fun to watch, you know? Uh, well, what I, what I like about Through the Looking Glass is that it does a different thing with the Mirror Universe. Well, you know, the, the first one was like, hey, we're going to bring this back again, and here's this wacky thing that's happening, and here's Karen Bashir, right? And, you know, it, it's a chance for, for Odo to die and for yeah. people to, you know, get killed and act in different ways than they, norm- they, they not normally would. And, of course, you know, in now they've, they've come back to it a year later. The situation has radically changed, as, of course, you needed to. Yeah. Because otherwise, what's the point of coming back? But I like that they do that because, you know, it, it's... In a way, you can imagine an alternate universe show, Deep Space Nine, which has just been everything going on in the Mirror Universe, and there is a year's worth of events. Just you know, exactly be, be, because let's face it, things in the in the real in in the Prime Universe or whatever you want to call it have changed a lot in the past year too. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and so I, I think it's 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 you know, in the way that you see that in this episode most clearly, I think is the fact that they bring in characters in the mirror universe that weren't present in the first episode. So wait, is this implying then that there's a wormhole in the mirror universe and a dominion in the mirror universe? I would assume so. I mean, I don't think that they. I mean, they don't really say anything about it in this episode, but um, you know. You know, you see Dax in this episode. You see Mirror Universe Bashir in this episode. Mirror Universe Rom. You know, these are characters we didn't see. Oh yeah, in in the first one. You know, because of course Odo's dead. Kira's still there. Garrick is still there. Cisco is dead. Of course. You know, O'Brien is still there. But I like the fact that they're they're kind of changing it up a little bit by bringing in characters we hadn't seen in the past, kind of intimating that you know here's here's where the 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 changes have happened in the past yeah. year. And I mean, I I would say you know Bashir is one of the you know biggest you know shocks just that he's you know uh, completely disloyal you know he's just waiting for the moment to take over you know that's not who Bashir is that we know so you know as dramatic a change as the intendant is you know I'd say Bashir is a little more shocking yeah I think so but I also like the fact that you know it it, these episodes get a chance for the strongest actors in 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 the cast to to do different things oh yeah and you know Bashir you know Alexander Siddig really pulls that off well in this episode I think that I like the fact that you know Avery Brooks is doing a really good job at 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 Someone, you know, Cisco, who's playing in a, a different yeah. version of Cisco, but you can tell that's what he's doing. Um, you know, because it, it would have been very easy for him to just, just to slip into playing Mirror Universe Cisco, which he doesn't do. You know, it's it's our Cisco playing Mirror Universe. Cisco. Yeah, you know, Jennifer especially, you know, mentions that oh, you've changed, and you know, we of course know that's you know our Cisco's you know personality coming through, but you know, it's in a way he is coming off as an older and more mature version of that character. Yeah, because I think that, you know, I don't think they actually showed this conversation in the episode, but, you know, you can kind of see O'Brien going, look, our our Cisco is kind of a jerk. He talks like this, like, you know, whatever Maybe it is. Maybe showed him the video even, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And so that's, I like the fact that they kind of just, did, you know, just kind of shunt that off to the side. It doesn't really matter how he knows that. Um, but I don't know. I think that, you know, the the actual plot of the episode, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think it's fine. I I don't have a problem with it. And it's I think a it's, fine episode. Yeah, you know, it's a way for it's a way for Jennifer to get into the action. Yeah, it's a I, in in some ways there is a point. It there is a few elements of point A to point B here. You know, if we want to talk in terms of you know trilogy structure, you know, the original Mirror Universe episode was setting up the world. You know, in setting up the situation, this is just kind of broadening it. Okay, well, now the mirror universe is at war. There is this rebellion, you know. They're trying to do these things, you know. We need to get Jennifer into the rebellion, you know. And yeah, that's a way, you know, it, the plot didn't matter because it was a, it was a fine plot. But 
really guess, it was just about how do we get person from point A to point B. Yeah, and I think that that you know, I, I'm going to kind of go back on my word about how I said I wasn't going to talk about later Mirror Universe episodes because I think it's difficult to talk about this episode without kind of giving some context for it because it's it's really crystallizing something in my mind about why the later Mirror Universe episodes don't work as well. You know, the Mirror Universe is a, a very comic book sort of concept yeah. where we just get to see our familiar characters acting very differently in, in, in new and different situations. And it's fun. That's where the fun of these episodes comes from. You know, that's why crossover works so well because it's kind of a shock that they even bring this concept back. Yeah. And now we see all these characters acting very differently. Then, of course, again, in, in Through the Looking Glass in this episode, we get to see characters that did not appear in the first Mirror Universe episode of Deep Space Nine acting very differently. There are certain things about it that they can kind of run rampant with. Where the pro, you know, and I'm not, I'm not really loath to, I'm not going to spoil later Mirror Universe episodes, you know, in, in sort of plot mechanics, but, you know, kind of the themes that they talk about are the feeling of them because, you know, I don't really care about kind of talking about that meta stuff that, that you're going to find out later because, you know, this isn't really a big part of the show. It doesn't really affect, I think, a lot of the themes of the show. This is just always kind of a, a fun, like, safety release valve for the show to do every couple of seasons. So, in other words, it's not like Mirror Garrick and the Dominion, you know, and the Mirror Dominion, you know, team up to invade the real Alpha no, Quadrant no, no, or nothing no. like that. Or, okay, or the Dominion takes two fronts and, you know, takes, you know, no. knights with it. Okay. No, that doesn't happen at all. So, oh, my God, I totally would have done that. <laughs> I totally would have had the Dominion contacting itself. Oh, my God. Well, see, that's why I think later Mirror Universe episodes don't well because you think you would like that. But the problem is that... The mirror universe doesn't really work as well when you start treating it as a real place. Yeah, I mean, we, we, in a lot of ways, the mirror universe was created when Kirk, you know, went to it, you know. Yeah. In, in, you know, this is almost back to the future time travel in a way, but, you know, let's say making another difference splits the timeline. I mean, well, that's not the implication at all. In well, well, but well, well, here's the thing because they say that, you know, this existed and it was literally someone traveling from one place to another place, both of which existed, you know, the whole time. But in practice, you know, as you said, the, you know, it doesn't really make sense unless it's just branched off. So, I mean, but which is a, which is a general issue with alternate universe stories in general, unless you're going to write something very complicated, arcane and avant-garde, you know, and then, there is a degree to which what's the point? We want to see, you know, well, who would be, you know, what would these people be if they weren't focused, you know, through Starfleet, through yeah. the war with, you know, Cardassia, through the, you know, those kind of things. And in, in terms of that, that's fine, you know, but at the same time, I can also see it wearing out its welcome because, you know, we don't treat, you know, we don't really treat the intendant as a real character in right. some ways. You know, she is Nana Visitor playing a different role who is as different from the uh, from the real Kira as, you know, you can get. Um, you know, it's it's a way to show off some acting chops. It's a way to show off some really cool writing. You know, her scenes are both funny and terrifying, you know, but I have no I can't say I have investment in her as a character. I can't say I'm worried about what's going to happen to her. I can't say that, you know, if six months go without a Mirror Universe episode, I won't be wondering what's happening to Mirror Kira, as I do when there's a few episodes without Garrick. 
Right. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. And it's actually funny you mentioned Garrick because I think that Mirror Universe Garrick is actually less interesting than our Garrick, like in a weird way. He's, he's, he's our Garrick without any problems. Well, he has problems, but he's but just... No he's real problems. Not, not problems to the sense that our Garrick has. I mean, he doesn't need to be as dissembling. He doesn't, you know, because, just, you know, while he is does butt heads with the intendant, you know... He does have a relatively secure position. He isn't in exile, you know. Well, that's the problem, I think, and we'll see this a lot in the next episode, is that, you know, one of the one of the joys of the Garrick character is just this this person who, you know, really has no security and and is is using all of his sort of guile and his his charm and his skills as whatever he is to to really like secure himself some sort of position right in on deep space nine yeah garrick has a silver tongue and he can you know he's very good at manipulating people or playing every side against each other or getting people to like him and that's a survival mechanism he doesn't need a survival mechanism in the mirror universe exactly. because he's doing pretty all right for himself and that yeah and i think that's why he's not as interesting as our garrick because he doesn't yeah that's a good way to put it he just doesn't have that survival instinct he doesn't need it yeah, um, you know, Kira, you know, Dark Kira will warn him when he is getting out of line, and then he usually backs off. We've seen. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think that that you know, in terms of in terms of Cisco and Jennifer in this episode, I think that, that you know, the real meat of the episode, of course, is about them, yeah. and you know, to to a le- lesser degree, I think it's about Cisco and, and Dax as well. And I, you know, it, it just this is just a side kind of observation, but but I do wonder about there's that scene where they're all talking and yeah. Bashir is giving his speech, and and O'Brien goes over to, yeah, yeah, yeah. to Cisco and says, "Look, our, my Cisco would hit him. You need to go punch him yeah. right now." So of course, Cisco does. And Dax pulls out a phaser, and she's like, "Anybody else got a problem with that, right?" And you know, Cisco basically yeah. says, "Hey, back down, Dax." Yeah. Now you could read that in one of two ways. You could read that as, "Why is he telling me to do this?" or "Why is he calling me Dax?" No, I was going to say the yeah the uh, the implication I got was that she was just reacting to that, but not really making a big deal because number one, there are other things to really worry about that what he's calling and. This, you know, Mirror Cisco apparently comes up with nicknames for people left and right. right. So, you know, yeah, it, it is a very brief, like, what the fuck is he calling me now? But at the other time, I did wonder, though, because, you know, we don't know what Jadzia, because she is Jadzia in this episode. Yeah. I think it's clear that she's Jadzia, but we we don't know how much of. Jadzia, this jet, dark Jadzia's history shared with ours, and you know, our Jadzia went into the Trill internship program, interned with Dax, and bombed out. And right. we know that she, you know, went, studied harder, reapplied, got, you know, and eventually be. This may, you know, Jad, this Jadzia may have gone to the academy, met Dax, bombed out, and didn't go back a second time, and now she's being called Dax. Like, you know, I, I wonder yeah, if that yeah. was like a weirdness. You know, I think it's interesting because the episode—it's it, a tiny moment, and I think the episode kind of goes out of its way to not resolve it. But, but I like that, and I think that's—I yeah. think that's why this is such a good episode—is that it's not afraid to to have those kind of moments and have those kind of mindfuck moments, and not really resolve them in any way well let's let let, let's let's be very honest as to people who 
every week we'll talk about you know these episodes in exhaustive detail that stuff's fun yeah it is no absolutely it's it's really fun i mean i, I love the last scene between jennifer and, and 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 cisco you know where yeah they're kind of having this conversation about what exactly uh, uh you know he's gonna do now and she says look you're not him. yeah like i know you're not him. and the question is how long had she known him? right it I mean, wasn't because- him you know was she just kind of going it with it because you know not important right now, and you know now she's like, "Look, we can't bullshit each other. I was your wife. I know I'm, you know where." But I and I think yeah, and I think it's it's a really interesting way that the show kind of subverts the Cisco and oh, the, the the Benjamin and Jennifer you know romance on its head because of course this is not a romance in any way, shape, or form. I mean, we've seen Jennifer before in flashbacks, right? Um, we've seen her yeah. on the beach when they met when he was in the wormhole, you know that kind of stuff. We we've seen this sort of you know very lovely, very friendly, you know very beautiful woman who obviously you know Ben is going to fall in love with. Yeah, but. Uh, and this, we know who Ben is and why she would fall in love with him. Right. And and what I like about it is that the show doesn't really go – this episode doesn't really go into how this Cisco and this Jennifer would fall in love. I yeah. Mean, well, I mean it, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it says that she was – you know, grew up as one of the Terrans that was like kind of worked with the Empire or whatever and, you know, was very – She's a Quisling. Yeah. she She's kind of – yeah. A, She's in a way, uh, and I think it's part of it is she comes off as a rich girl who dated this, dated somebody that her parents would hate. Yeah. You know, and that's why she picked him because, you know. I mean, leaving aside the question of how someone like that would marry a person who was like a slave in a mine, but, you know, whatever. Well, you know, I mean, part of the, the, the understanding that I got was that, you know, maybe the intendant had you know, already been grooming Mirror Cisco at that point. Yeah. And then she invited him to a party. Jennifer was at the party and, you know, she found him a bad boy. Like that's almost, you know, and as she's going, you know, this is not, yeah, because she is, in a way, he is becoming the man she wanted him to be or the man that she wanted to be married to, the man that her real universe, you know, version was married to. Right. Um, And you can see her, liking that you know and respond obviously responding to it and you know being happy with it but also realizing that is is in its way a lie you know yeah well but i think also that's that's why she's so readily convinced to change sides and help the rebellion because i think that she knows this isn't her cisco or at least she has inklings of it and and you know it's one of those things where she's very very easily convinced because i think she she wants to be convinced by the version of the man she yeah. she married that she actually wanted do you know what i mean yeah and in other way i mean he doesn't completely it isn't like he says you need to join our side because i love you you know he does you know make some intellectual arguments to her and as a scientist that is what's going to sway her you know she does kind of you know she almost suspects that She's not making the right thing, and he kind of shows up and, you know, I don't want to say gives her permission to actively follow on her conscience, but kind of confirms, like, no, you're not the crazy one, actually, like, you were right, you know, you need to get, that that voice that's been saying get the hell out of here is the right voice, you know? Well, and also, frankly, I mean, I think that, you know, Cisco doesn't necessarily need this closure, this redemption, but I think in, in some way, you know, Cisco convincing Jennifer to go over to the side of the rebels and, and sort of be more protected in a sense. I mean, she's not going to be under threat of death when she finishes this, this sensor array or whatever she's doing that, that, that is in a sense, 
a way for Cisco to atone for the guilt he feels yeah. about having her die, you know, during the Battle of Wolf three five nine, and and you know he's not going to stay in the mirror universe. He knows he doesn't belong there. He's not going to tell. He's not going to ask Jennifer to go back to his universe because he knows she doesn't belong there. He knows that this is not actually yeah. her. But in a sense, I think maybe even subconsciously, this is a way for him to to. To, to be okay with the fact that, that Jennifer is okay in some universe. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, he can't really, he can't go back and save his actual wife, but here is somebody who he can help, and here is a world that he can help. And I mean, he has the opportunity to, the, um, the evil empire is not the Borg, true, but he is, he does get an opportunity to do his part towards saving the galaxy from a major threat. Yeah, yeah. And I also think, you know, I mean, you know, aside from that, I think that 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 makes me realize that, you know, when you mentioned the Dominion before in the mirror universe, I think that it's kind of funny that, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of extrapolation you can do about did any of the the, the alien races in the mirror universe Mm -hmm. meet the Borg, you know, so it's kind of like we know that there are these big threats out there that could probably topple all of this and they don't even know about it. So it's kind of funny. Without without a Picard on the Enterprise, they're not, you know, Q is not going to be on the Enterprise, and Q is the one who kind of got the Borg's attention. So, but at the same time, there is the implication, um, you know, in uh, I forget what episode it is, but there is the implication that that the Borg had already like taken notice of of the Alpha Quadrant and were sort of heading that way. Yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. The, you know, Q sped it up a little bit, but that's Q didn't what, yeah, cause that's it a, to happen. No, yeah. So I think it's so my my. Unless the Borg do not exist in the mirror universe, which I find doubtful, they're probably just pretty far off. You know, they aren't ready to. And, you know, even with, you know, we could even say, you know, maybe they did some reconnaissance, saw the Empire and realized, you know, we can't defeat them as easily as, you know, they thought they could have defeated the Federation, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't know what else there's to say about this episode, but I, but I think it's really good. Uh, he manages to use that self-destruct button against things finally. Yeah, that's <laughs> After good. a civil whatever, he, uh... Yeah, that was a good scene. I did enjoy that quite a bit. And, and you know, Nana Visitor plays that very well. She's kind of got this, like, you know, tired embarrassment about her when she says her access code. Like, how did he know this? <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good episode. Yeah, well. All right, well, let's move on to Improbable Cause. I wasn't expecting a cliffhanger. You weren't? No. I told you about it, didn't I? Well, you know, maybe you did and maybe you didn't, but I wasn't expecting it. And what a cliffhanger it is. Oh, my God. I yelled at the screen when it said to be continued because I was fucking like, what the fuck? What? No. Yeah. This was awesome. Yeah. Richard said he was pissed at the ending. And I was like, oh, God, did he not like it? Because if he doesn't like it, we're going to have a problem. But no, no, because I want to know what happens next. Yeah. And what happens next is uh, it's uh, a hell of a thing. And I'll just leave it at that. Oh, does it turn out that Odo has an emotion chip and that's what's causing him to have emotions and that uh, Dax is like, I've gotten all of the Gem Hadar. No, no, that doesn't happen. Yeah, I think that Improbable Cause... Well, here's how I want to talk about Improbable Cause, because this is a very important episode of the show. Like, the two-parter in general is important. Um, And I think that this point in the season, it's important to sort of start to talk about how the third season has been shaping up, because... One of the things I realized when I was watching this episode is that I didn't really have a good sense of what happened during the third season in terms of characters. Like, and what I mean by that is I remember plots, I remember episodes, I remember sort of the the events of the universe, right? 
But mm. in terms of the actual characters, you know, aside from certain things like in Heart of Stone with Oda revealing his love for Kira to himself and probably to all of us finally, you know, he he, he voiced it. You know, Cisco becoming comfortable with, um, you know, living on the station, you know, sort of the Bashir and O'Brien friendship. I think what the third season is really about is about these characters becoming comfortable with where they are. And Yeah, I mean, like I'd say the first, you know, for example, we talked a lot in the first two seasons about you know, Kira's journey and, you know, how she came from somebody who is very new in this disciplined, you know, uniform and how she doesn't, you know, she wants to be fighting. She always wants to, you know, see an enemy and maybe that's not the case. And, you know, she has to be more, you know, and all of those things, you know, realizing that there are good Cardassians, realizing that there are bad Bajorans, you know, realizing all of these, you know, her general journey of, you know, maturity and, you know, more sophistication in her understanding of the politics of everything, yeah, we can't really point to what what that what what she did in season three in those terms, right? I think to a large degree, season three has been about these characters getting comfortable with themselves and getting comfortable with where they are. I mean, and, I would say season three has been about kind of all right. We've established, we you know, the first two seasons, we put a bunch of you know characters down and we explained who these were and we did some world building you know now all of the foundational work is done Mm -hmm. and now because now we're really dealing with i I mean in a lot of ways the meta plot has exploded we have you know oh yeah there's the bajoran cardassian stuff there's the dominion stuff there is you know there's the cardassian romulan stuff yeah well now that's you know now that's you know happening but you know yeah it is spinning into a much more i mean this is This series is a lot more plot-driven than, I would say, even original series or definitely TNG was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that... But what the nice thing about it, though, is that the plot is so good. You know, Yeah, and and frankly, that the characters that inhabit the plot are excellent, too. I mean, it's... You know, this is not to say that character work has been given anything resembling short shrift. That's even... I mean, to a degree, the series is stronger, and I, I do agree. This series is stronger on most elements. I yeah, no, I, I would agree with that, and I think that you know, it's funny because I had this conversation um, with, with someone else a few days ago about you know what my, what my favorite Star Trek show you talk is. To other people about Trek? I do. I talk to a lot of other people. On. I'm sorry. Well, why would you just like casually admit that on air? So I, I said that TNG is my favorite. And and I sort of there's there's a there's a difference in my mind between what I think my my favorite of something is and what the best is. Mm. And my favorite is TNG because TNG is what I grew up watching. You know, I remember yeah. watching it with my dad. I remember watching it when I was in high school. Like I didn't really watch Deep Space Nine. I came to Deep Space Nine later. Um, I think Deep Space Nine is the best Star Trek show. You know, on any level that you can think of in terms of writing, in terms of how it deals with the themes of the franchise and characters, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, there is a distance to it that I have probably because I came to it as an adult that I really don't have with TNG. Hmm. Okay. But saying that, I think that, you know, I'm with you that this is the best show. You know, I think that what you're seeing here is, you know, and again, the third season where Iris Stephen Bear is now taking the show over and, you know, Ronald D. Moore has come over and all these, you know, um, 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 uh, uh, Bear is writing for the show and, and Robert Hewitt Wolf is writing for the show. These are big names in the show that that they're they're kind of these are these are people that really understand Star Trek and mm. probably understand TNG and TOS to a large degree better than probably anybody you know any writer has before or since and they are they're engaging with the themes of Star Trek yeah. and they are engaging with the world 
in really, really strong and profound ways, I think. And, and they're, they're having fun with it at the same time. Well, yeah. Many of the episodes and themes of Deep Space Nine have been kind of addressing flaws in the way the Federation or, you know, talking about the, you know, themes from a different perspective or addressing shortcomings, but in the way of people who love and are fans of something, not who dislike it. And I mean, those are two very different kinds of critique. I mean, I think that's part of the reason this show is a joy, because if it was just about, you know, well, the Federation, you know, it sucks to just look from the Federation point of view, you know, it wouldn't, it would be a very bitter show. Yeah, I think so. And I think that, you know, it'll be very interesting to compare and contrast Star Trek Voyager with this show as well when we talk about Star Trek Voyager in, in a year or so. But, you know, you know, aside from all of that, I think that that this episode is the clearest indication yet that the show is not really afraid of making big changes to the status quo yeah. either. I mean, on the one hand, this is a very small episode. You know, it's it's centering around this this plot of who is trying to kill Garrick. And it slowly spins out over the course of the 45 minutes to this big, like, world-changing revelation yeah. at the end. And really, there's two of them because, of course, one of the revelations is that the Obsidian Order and the Tal Shiar have this, like, joint yeah. fleet they're building. And the other one – and then they're going to go through the Dominion the, and destroy the – they want to destroy the Founder's homeworld. Yeah, that's going to have consequences for somebody. Yeah. Whatever for, the consequences are and – you know, and you won't have to wait long to find out who the consequences are for. Okay, I, they don't make you wait very long for that. But yeah, either the Dominion's gonna wipe out the Romulans and this Cardassian fleet, or they're gonna actually attack the Founders, and that's gonna be a weird thing, you know? Right, or right. you know, the Founders are gonna come and retaliate. Like it's not good. Well, because I think to a large degree, you know, the fact that you say that those are the only two outcomes makes me realize that you're like on the wavelength of Deep Space Nine at this point. Because, Aww. you know, on, on TNG, if this had been a TNG episode, I think that that would not have been the case. I think that the, oh, the yeah, implica- Picard's not going to go and, you know, everybody's going to shake hands and stand out. Exactly. Like that's what would have happened in the second part of this if this had been a TNG two-parter. So the fact of the matter is, yeah, one of those two things is going to happen. Yeah. Which one is it? Who knows? But, and, you know, of course, the other big reveal is that Garrick decides that he's immediately going to go back over and and join the Obsidian Order Well, to be fair, Garrick says that. He is full of shit at all times. Yes. You know, is he really rejoining the Obsidian Order? Is he going to triple-double reverse cross something? You know, well, that's the thing. It's, it's, I don't know what he's going to do, but that came out of left field, and it was... But totally it makes sense. It was, I mean, yeah, but yes, you know, and that's I, what's, what sold it to me the most was how, you know, shocked Odo is from seeing this. Like, I mean, that's, I think, the most disconcerted. We, you know, the only other time we've seen Odo so disconcerted is when Kiro was dying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and it, you know, and it's funny because what I like about it is it shows how strong the character of Garrick is and the way that they've written him because I could totally buy either one of those scenarios. Yeah. I could buy that, you know, because he really does sell it in that moment. You know, here is a Cardassian. Here is a man who feels very disconnected. He obviously got kicked out of the Ascidian Order for some reason. You have the character of Anabrantain coming back from what we saw in the wire. Yeah. And, you know, Anabrantain says, hey, you know what? All's forgiven. And Garrick is like, yes, I will immediately go back because he always has felt like he wants to go back. I buy that interpretation. Yeah, at this point, I mean, frankly, and and even more so than that, you know, he's going to come if if 
this mission succeeds, he's going to come back at the side of Anabrantane as a as a war hero. Right. You know? Right. So so not only is he going to be restored to his position, he'll probably get a promotion out of this. Yeah. Yeah. Or the other interpretation, of course, is that Garrick is playing Anabrantane, and I totally believe that one too. Yeah. And, and and it's the strength of the writing and the way that they developed the character of Garrick in the, the the three seasons we've seen him that that both of those options seem you know equally plausible. And can I go further and say you know whether if he decides to betray Anabrantane there's about six reasons that he could be doing that you yeah. know like yeah. i think that's you know it's completely plausible that he might all right well this is my revenge against an Aubertine. finally i'll stab him at the last moment this is all right i really do want to just get back home you know and be happy or there you know there is i'm gonna stop him and do the right thing you know i'm gonna stop him because it's gonna destroy the federation i'm gonna stop him because you know there's a dozen reasons and you know Really, at the end of the day, the only way you can tell what Garrick wants is what's going to benefit Garrick the most. Well, I think, but that, at the other time, I wonder if that's selling him short. Well, I think that what Garrick maybe it is selling him short. I don't know, and I think that we'll probably find that out in the future. But um, the other thing, of course, is that I think the one thing that Garrick does want is Garrick wants to stay alive. You know, Garrick yes. likes being alive. You know, and. And so he's always, I mean, he blew up his own shop. I mean, did you see that coming? Like, <laughs> I, 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 I dropped a spoon at that line. <laughs> no, this, this had a couple of very holy shit moments. And frankly, in the previous episode when he shows Jennifer's picture, that was a holy shit moment. This was a very exciting week. I mean, we don't do this a lot, but I think that we just have to, I want to take a step back and I just want to kind of like encapsulate the, the, the the mechanics of the plot of this episode because yeah. it is so well done. Oh yeah, that you know Garrick and Bashir are having lunch and they're talking again about whatever they're talking about. Uh, they're analyzing Shakespeare through Cardassian perspective, which we can talk about too. Yeah, it's, it's my dinner with Garrick. <laughs> uh, and then of course Garrick sees the flak scene, which we don't realize. He realizes that he's an assassin and he's come to kill him. Which you know, hey, <laughs> of course he would. Uh, Garrick blows up his own shop to to bring Odo into the mix because he knows that Odo won't believe that he is in danger. And then, of course, Odo realizes that kind of halfway through the episode and they go off on this other adventure. And, of course, then an Auburn Tane shows up with the Tal Shiar yeah. and the fleet from Defiant. Like, it's so crazily well done. <laughs> now, one thing I wasn't quite clear, why did he kill those people again? I think that the implication is, and if I remember the end of the episode correctly. Yeah, because this was the. Inabrantane is closing off loose ends because he realizes that those people have dirt on him. Because Inabrantane. It's not really that he needed to kill them for for the fleet to succeed. It's that he wanted to kill them because Inabrantane really believes that the fleet is going to succeed. And when this fleet goes back to Cardassia. Okay. He wants to make sure that there's no one out there that has dirt on him to, to, so to sort of words, like undercut his new position. So in other words, he comes, I destroyed the Dominion, you know, the Alpha Quadrant is safe. You know, oh, you're going to be the best Kardashian. Wait, I knew right. so, you killed my wife, you know, type. And, right. And the other thing that I like about that, too, is that it's fucking crazy. Like, oh, yeah. You know, like there's there's a there's a degree of paranoia there, which is 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 profound, you know, but even more so, I would say it's it's, it's how like nothing it is, because I mean, once Garrick is feeling like, look, I don't care either way. Like, you know, you get there. Let's put it this way. Nobrantain could have probably very easily bribed all of those six people into, you know, forgetting everything they ever knew about him, you know, because so, certainly Garrick, it seems like is 
But I think if there's one thing that we know about Cardassians as a people, it's that they take yeah. the most efficient option. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, because, of course, I think you see that in Garrick as well, where he realizes very quickly, you know what? Odo's not going to believe me, so let me just blow up my yeah. own shop. I mean, once once Garrick and Nabrantain are face-to-face and, you know, Garrick says, like, look, no, I, I, w- I wouldn't do that, then the most efficient option is to just say, okay, well, join me. I could use another hand, you know, someone who knows what they're doing. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And and how great is it that, that Odo gets, his, like, a few chances to shine in this episode? Because, of course, you know, we know Odo is competent. We know Odo is good at his job, and he's very intelligent. But there's a degree to which, you know, he is one or two steps before Garrick you know, ahead of Garrick in this episode, which I think is why the ending of it is so shocking because Odo has been one or two steps ahead of Garrick the entire episode, and now suddenly he's not. Yeah, I mean, this is the one of the few times we actually, you know, we see Garrick having no idea, nothing in most of this episode. Like, the one thing he knows through this episode is who bombed his store. The rest of it is just, he has no idea, and he's just as in the dark. And yeah, so, yeah. You know, the ending of the episode is he, you know, Garrick is finally putting a plan together and what that is going to be. We have no idea. But, you know, for the rest of the episode, he's totally on his ass. Yeah, no, he is. And I, I, I like the observation on Odo's part that you can tell when Garrick doesn't know what's going on because he's not lying. Yeah. <laughs> which which in a sense is is like, wow, that's so simple that it's scary. Yeah. That, that Odo would realize that, and that's what Garrick is doing. But, yeah, but Odo, you know, Garrick saying, you know, you have no emotions, you know, you're, we know that's not true. But at the same time, Odo is a bit more dispassionate of observer. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, he does have some really scary good insights to most people. No, he does, yeah. And, yeah. you know, I like when people, you know, I like when people try to get one over on... Odo, because, you know, Odo knows he's full of shit, you know? Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and now we also know Odo has a Cardassian friend. Oh, yeah. That, oh, yeah. that was mysterious as shit. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if that's used again. I, I, I think it may be, but it may not be. I'm not sure. But even if it's not, I just love that scene so much because it, it just it feels like one of those political like thrillers yeah. from the 70s, you know, like and, all the president's men or, or and the Manchurian know, candidate or something like that. I li- and I like that it's something that we didn't know existed. We didn't know that he had someone on Cardassia that he can pull in that level of favor from. And the thing is, it could feel like a deus ex machina. It could feel it could feel not earned. But I, I, I like the fact that it does because this is something that Odo wouldn't tell anybody unless he had Yeah, to. and it makes sense that, you know, in his position uh, in the Tarek Nord days, you know, he would he, he would have gotten into position to help someone out and get a massive favor owed. And it's one of those things that, that it, it, it kind of ties back to – because, you know, I don't know if you've made this connection, but of course – the the fleet that's being revealed to be built, you know, in the episode Defiant, yeah, is this fleet? So, uh, right, and so that's another example of the show seeing yeah. something that is really big and important. Much, you know, later on, maybe not much later on, because it was only a few episodes ago. But, but still, but later that, on, that's that's much more direct than you know. Again, TNG did it by they would you know do an episode and then a year or two later 
someone would say, you know, oh, hey, I remember that episode. Actually, it would be really cool. What, what's that character been up to? And then they right. write the episode. This, you know, they deliberately, you know, they knew when they were beginning this season. All right, we would like to, you know, eventually the Cardassians and the Romulans are going to team up to fight the Dominion. So, okay, they need to have a ship built. So, you know, all right, here's, let's, let's make an episode where they find out the Cardassians are building some kind of fleet. And not even the Romulans and the Cardassians. I mean, well, it's, it's, it's the Tal Shiar and the Obsidian Order that are doing yeah. this. Um, again, another interesting connection between the Romulans and the Cardassians that maybe I didn't completely click on. But yeah, they do have a secret police. Yeah, yeah. And I think the implication... And also, you know, it is revealed... Uh, we didn't talk about this very much at all um, in Visionary, but it is revealed that there is a Klingon intelligence agency as well, which is something that we had not known about before. Yeah, I mean, the assumption is that everyone has an intelligence agency. So it seems like maybe Deep Space Nine is 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 more interested in espionage and, as an, and intelligence than TNG is, certainly. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they have been... Go, you know... Given the plot lines of it, where these are, it is a much more political show in, yeah. in its ways. Um, I mean, this isn't a you know West Wing Wire kind of a thing, but it is much more interested in you know how governments relate to each other, how you know different sovereigns you know coexist. Um, yeah, and I think that that's why it works so well is that we know that there's all these different factions in the in the Cardassian government. Yeah. You know, there's there's the Central Command, there's a the civilian government, the Tatapa Council, which may or may not be the same thing, and there's also the Obsidian Order. And now we have the Obsidian Order who was revealed to maybe not have the best interests of Cardassia at heart, we don't know. <laughs> like because they're they're willing to to do this joint effort with the Tal Shiar who obviously are running rampant over the Romulan government as well probably. Um and and they're going to go off and they're going to probably cause huge problems either for the Romulans, Cardassians, or the Dominion, or all three. I mean, it seems like such an arrogantly blindsided military move that kind of makes sense. I mean, I, I don't think there is – I don't think Anabrantane for a second thinks that they're not going to win. You oh, know? no, no. Like, the you know, whatever you will say about the Obsidian Order and the Tal Shiar, like – I don't think they would do something like this without, you know, thinking it was the, you know, yes, everyone will agree it's a desperation move, particularly after sealing the wormhole didn't work a few episodes ago. Uh, but, and frankly, that's, I think, why this is going now, you know, yeah. because that was kind of their first softer plan. You know, this is a desperate thing to do, but given the strength of their enemy, maybe the only thing that makes sense. And also I think, too, that, that, it it puts the Federation in an interesting place because the Federation is very interested in, in detente with the Dominion. You know, yeah. they they want to have discussions with them. They want to, some, to come to some sort of understanding and a peaceful understanding. Yeah, because, the, you know, at this point, the Klingons and the Federation are best friends, you know. Right, and right. Even the, you know, obviously this episode is showing us that maybe not the case, but they're starting to work with the Romulans. I mean, they even have at least vaguely courteous relations with the Romulans. So eventually the Federation wants to make everybody its friend and believes that that can eventually happen. Yeah. Even in a darker, more realistic version of the, you know, 
of the Star Trek universe that DS9 is, the Federation does still have that idealism to it, or at least most of its members do. I, yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that, you know, it's it's interesting that the question is not even really that that brought up because, you know, an Aubertine does say some vague things about that at some point where, oh, the Federation isn't really a power play in this. You know, we're, we're going to we're the actors. We're the ones who are going to go yeah. off and do these things. And I think it does play in nicely to some of the themes of Deep Space Nine, taking the viewpoints of alien species and alien you know, characters, uh, I think much more seriously than, than TNG or TOS did because you, it, it, it extrapolates that out and says, okay, if, if Kira, if Garrick, if, if Odo, if these characters, Rom, all these characters, right, have their own motivations for doing things, then we have these big powers out there, the Cardassians, the Romulans, they would also be doing things that yeah. perhaps would, would greatly affect the balance of power in the galaxy that that would that they would not consult the federation about at all you know it's funny because we've talked been talking about the romulans and they're kind of not taken completely seriously at this point in the show yeah and so you know you get the almost the sense that the federation figured oh the romulans will be really easily contained again when the you know when the founders made you know everybody have that vision yes that was you know a simulation but you know, no one in that – you know, certainly the Federation government just thinks they're, oh, well, we could take care of the fucking Romulans. They're nothing, you know, at this point. And I think that might be one of – so they've kind of like figured they're too small to cause any trouble and so they were allowed to get this all taken care of yeah. probably pretty easily. And then Particularly also, with Cardassian, you know, help. Well, yeah, and then also at the same time I think that, you know, the unspoken implication of that is that if the Cardassians weren't involved, the Romulans wouldn't be able to pull this off at all. Well, yeah. Because of course the Romulans are basically incompetent, you know, like <laughs> so so the fact of the matter is the Cardassians I don't know if the I guess the Cardassians need the Romulans, but I think the Romulans need the Cardassians more. If that, you know what I mean? Like if yeah, that yeah, makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Um someone you think that the I feel like the Cardassians took the Romulans around to get some soldiers, you know, rather yeah. than have our own people killed. We'll we'll fire up those Romulans, you know, and they'll be really excited to, you know, go into this. Um, and then, you know, I mean, whatever you'll say about Cardassians, they do think their way of life is superior. Part of their empire is to conquer, is to get things. But I think they do want to have everybody being part of the Cardassian Empire eventually. And, you know... Th- so they're going to come by as the saviors of the awful quadrant, you know? Right. That, right. I mean, that's another thing that's going to happen. If they win, not only will an Aubertine get a good position, but suddenly everyone's going to be a lot more friendly towards the Cardassians who actually get things done rather than the Federation who sits and talks and debates and makes these diplomacy things. Right. It takes forever, and there's treaties that don't even work. I mean, frankly, this is the only thing, you know. <laughs> well, and I think, I think too, you know, it's interesting you say that because I, I do want to talk about Anabrantain a little bit because I think that he's, you know, and it's it's a good way maybe to, to start wrapping the conversation up and, you know, we can talk about the Dias cast next week, but I I... I think that Anabrantain has a couple of different motivations here. And of course, you know, he is explicitly saying that one of his motivations here is to, is to get his position back. You know, he's tired, he's tired of being retired or whatever he is. Right. And, you know, we kind of saw him for the first time in the wire last season. And he's kind of this character that it was talking about Garrick, but we didn't really know what the relationship was and, you know, kind of saying, well, I actually hope he dies, you know, and, and now we actually see him again. He's in a different place. And so that's part of his motivation, but I also do agree. I, I, I do like I do believe that also part of his motivation is, uh, you know, to to protect Cardassia. You know, and I oh, yeah. I, I like well, the fact that there's no 
uh, problem with the personal motivations perhaps not corresponding with the the bigger motivations here to protect his people. Well, and and now I'm thinking, you know, maybe in the wire he was probably had the first outline of this plan. So when he was saying, "I hope Garrick dies," he knew he was going to kill him in a year. But um, well, yeah, I mean, this, <laughs> this is something that was probably in the works for a while. Oh yeah, um, but I. I, I you know, we've talked about this with Goldacott and Garrick before, but everybody, every Cardassian thinks that the way to be a true, you know, they are the exemplar of what it means to be a true Cardassian, you know. And so yeah, there really yeah. is no, you know, the individual is a conduit for the glory of the state. And so therefore, you know, if one's personal glory and position are elevated, well, that's a net elevation to the city, you know, to the empire itself. Sure. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I mean, this is a thing that does very heavily reward personal ambition. You know, this is not a state that, you know, it's a state that in some ways crushes the individual, but it also has a lot of opportunities to elevate them. As long as their personal ambition well, matches up with protecting Cardassia. Right? Well, as long as the face of their of their personal yeah, because maybe more important than anything, Cardassia is about surfaces. You know, you know that everybody around you is plotting and planning and coming up with all these schemes and things. But you know, what really matters is what everyone thinks of you and how well you can hide your shit. That is true. That is true. But at the same time, you know, the final scene with with Odo and Aubrey and and, and Garrick on the ship. Where, you know, Odo is tired of both of them because they're they're not saying what they're actually saying. And then you just Garrick basically breaks down. And I actually think he is being sincere in that moment. Yeah. You know, maybe he's not. I don't know. We'll find out next week, perhaps. But that that he is really hurt by a knob. And, you know, whatever else is going on with all of the different machinations and the ways that the Cardassians have to sort of like, you know, couch what they're saying and what they're thinking in terms of all of these different motivations. And they kind of have to hide their true selves all the time. At the same time, they do have a true self. And so, yeah. you know, the the open question at this point is, I think we know at least to some degree that Garrick does care for and respect Nabrantain and does feel hurt by Nabrantain's rejection of him. I don't think we know enough about Nabrantain to say whether how, how he feels about Garrick at all, but I think maybe we'll find that out. I don't know, yeah. but I think it's an interesting way to end the episode because it, it, it collapses the, the personal and the political in a really, in a, in a really real way. I do really like that they've made, you know, Every time they answer a question about Garrick, three more pop up, and not in a way where yeah. they don't know what it is. Like this is not lost, but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like he is that weird of a character. He is that deep complex. He is that yeah. you yeah. know dissembling, and I think that's part of the reason I am so fascinated with Garrick. Because I mean, from the moment I saw him, he was one of my favorite characters, and I think it's just because he's. He really he, he is such a puzzle. He is. He absolutely is. You, you you can't read him. You don't know what's going on with him. And that indicates to me that there's probably a lot more there than than we think there is. Yeah. 
And also, too, I, I, I think that, you know, we can't leave uh, uh, this episode without mentioning the, the great scene where, where Bashir recounts the, the tale of the boy who cried wolf. To yeah. Garrick. And, you know, of oh, course, yeah. again, Garrick takes this this very sideways point from it, you know, where <laughs> his his whole his whole understanding of it is is is, well, you probably shouldn't take say the same lie twice, which, uh, you know, is is valid, you know, but again, using an outside perspective to get a pretty astute observation. <laughs> yeah, it is. And and it really does, I think, tell us something about how Garrick's mind works. Yeah. I mean, which, you know, almost makes it interesting to, uh, you know, the beginning is talking about Shakespeare, which, you know, one of the things that everybody will say about Shakespeare is that it's universal, you know. And there's a very famous anthropology essay called Shakespeare in the Bush. I don't know if you've read it. Um, I don't know what anthropology is. Okay. Well, um, the woman who wrote it was a – she was working with a tribe in Africa and she's telling them the I story. don't know what Africa is. It's a country. Oh. Um, it's, she's telling them the story of Hamlet, you know, which is supposed to be – and, you know, it's going through all the things. Like, for example, you know, at the beginning it has a ghost. Well, you know, they're finding this hilarious because of their, you know, their own mythology surrounding right, right. ghosts, you know. Or, you know, for example, the whole plot point of, uh, you know, well, you know, the the – the king dies and, you know, his brother marries his wife. You know, that's supposed to be seen as something unnatural in the Shakespeare thing. And, you know, for this tribe, it was – that was, you know, one of the things they did in their own culture. Right, you know? so, right. So, for exa- so they're talking about Julius Caesar, which you would think, you know, if there was one Shakespeare play that, you know, a military country would be interested in. And, you know, we are – you know, we read it and we take the tragedy of, of Julius Caesar about how, you know, he's blind to his – you know, and now perhaps I'm wondering if this is Garrick talking about his own relationship to a Nabrantain because, uh, you know, he thinks of Julius Caesar as very stupid for not seeing this conspiracy, for not seeing that his sure. right-hand man was plotting against him. And, you know, it's implied that, you know, Garrick did some kind of betrayal to a Nabrantain, you know. And so, you know, in a way... He's the Brutus character and Tane is the Caesar character. And that's his way of denigrating, you know, he's denigrating Tane through his criticism of this story. I think so. I don't have much else to add. I think that's very astute. Well, I do have a literature degree. Um, yeah, this is just a fantastic episode. Really a fantastic week for the show. I no, think. And, I, I, uh, it's interesting because the past several cliffhangers we've had, we've done two in one episode. Um, yeah, past tense. I yeah, think the search, and I feel like the remaining two parters in this uh, season is the same case. Uh, no, there aren't any more. I think this is the last one. Oh, okay. I thought we had a and okay. Um, I don't believe. Well, the the season finale is kind of a cliffhanger and kind of not. Oh well, I mean two parters, I guess more than. Oh yeah, no, there's there's no more. We're almost done actually with the with, okay. this, with the third season. I huh. think I think this was episode nineteen or nineteen yeah. or twenty, and so. But either way, you know, we haven't had one split into two episodes, so I really am curious how to. I mean, yeah, past tense we did kind of as one long episode. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what where this goes. I guess know? I didn't expect it was a two parter because it wasn't called part one. Well, that's something that they get away from doing, actually, from, from now on, I think. They, okay. they don't actually do that anymore. So I hmm. actually, that's another indication that D-Space 9 is perhaps, you know, outgrowing you know, yeah. TNG in a way. Well, remember you know? that three-parter was that beginning of this season, right? No, the second season. Yeah. Well, I mean. Yeah, the circle and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll see where it goes I'm next excited. week. I'm excited. 
Well, if you have any thoughts on either one of the episodes we just discussed, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. Uh, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow and support support the podcast if you would like to do so. Uh, our social media username where you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is truckaboutshow. Are you seeing a pattern here? And as always, please leave us a positive iTunes review. It is the best way for new fans to find the show. It is the best way for you to show your love to us. And the best way for well, you to spend your evening. The second best way. The first best way would be to give us a couple bucks on Patreon. Mm. Next week, we are talking about the Dias cast, which wraps up this two-parter, and Explorers, which is an episode that is kind of minor, but that I enjoy very much. 